following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. So would you stand to your feet? You're awesome. I love you. And if you're a guest here today, we welcome you. Let's welcome our guests today. We're happy to have them. Yeah, we're happy to have them. There's nothing on the south side of Austin like it. Nothing on the south side of Austin like it. This is a great place. We love you very, very much. And we try to take care of you with everything we have. We have a great staff, a wonderful staff. That music you just heard has been going on like that for 14 years. Randy's been here 14 years. He is devoted. And what a joy to have him. Amen. And I got a little, a little sad note today. Earl and Sarah Amin sitting right over here are moving away. Now, when some people move away, they move, you know, like to Giddings or something, you know, or to Houston. They're going to the UEA, the United Arab, Arab what do you call it? Emirate, whatever. <laughs> UEA, is that what it is? UAB, United Arab uh, Emirate. I had it before I came up here. Dubai. There it is. And I told them, I said, I've always wanted to play golf over there, so invite me and pay my way and I'll come play golf. <laughs> we want you to say bye to them today. We love these folks. And, and Sarah asked me the other day, Sarah asked me the other day, said, Pastor, said, do we, do we, do we, do we, are we going to be off the roll of the church? I said, no, you're not going to be off the roll. I said, when you die, you'll still be on the roll. We claim people here all the days of your life. You may have been away for COVID. You may have been away for the last two years, but you're still a part of this church. And we're glad to have you. So we're going to miss Earl and Sarah, but we're going to wish them Godspeed. We want to make a lot of money over there in that rich country. Amen. Today I'm going to speak on rule of life. Everybody say rule of life. Now we started a series three weeks ago, three weeks ago called Do It for a Day. And uh, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you my, my, my river here. Uh, this book came out. There was a book called Do It For A Day that was released in November. And uh, I've been studying and, and, and looking at it and, and, and staring at it, and it just got a hold of me. And a lot of the illustrations that I use is from there. And so uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a man named Dr. Mark Batterson who also wrote Circle Maker that I've preached here in this church that, that wrote that book also. And so I just want you to know that some of this stuff I do research, but some of this stuff was already researched for me before I got a hold of it. So I want to tell you today that I'm going to preach this last session today, and I'm going to call it Rule of Life. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor. And you may be seated. You're the best. God bless you. In the fall of 1516, a 32-year-old theology professor named Martin Luther was teaching the book of Romans to the University of Wittenberg. And Luther got to Romans 1.17 that states, the just shall live by faith. And he had a revolution, a revelation that would revolutionize his life, solo fide, by faith alone. That simple truth proved to be a tipping point in his life and a turning point in history. Now, fast forward one year to Pope Leo X. He was raising funds to build St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And he was selling indulgences to do that. Simply put, Salvation was for sale. And one of the fundraisers, a friar named Johann Tetzel, coined a catchy little jingle. 
It's kind of funny. As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. <laughs> Folks, that's about as far as you can get from the gospel. Ephesians chapter 2 said, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. So last week we talked about the sin of silence, not saying what needs to be said. And we talked about the sin of tolerance, not doing what needs to be done. But at some point, you got to say it, enough is enough. Your conscience demands that you say something, that you do something. And that's what Martin Luther did on October 31, 1517. He started a fight with the Pope. He came out of his corner, he climbed the, the hills of Michmash, and he nailed 95 theses on the door of the castle church. There it is. There's Mr. Martin Luther. And that one act of courage had a domino chain reaction. It started what the world calls the Protestant Reformation. And as they say, the rest is history. Now let me share two observations with you because I believe this. I believe every generation needs a reformation. Every generation. There's an Anglican priest named Mark Dyer that states that every 500 years the church needs a giant rummage sale <laughs> to get away from some things that's holding us back. This may be one of those moments because I've spoken about this time since this pandemic broke out two years ago today. Two years ago today, we were shut out of church. Two years ago, on the 13th, uh, 13th, the 15th day of March, we were shut out of church. The church was shut down. And during those two years, we didn't stop. We might not have was able to come to church, but we were able to build this church. We built this church. See, I have a sense in my spirit that comes from Hebrews 12, 27, that says everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that the unshakable things remain. I truly believe that this pandemic was a God thing to shake us up. He's shaking false securities. He's shaking false identities. He's shaking false negatives and false assumptions. And he's shaking false idols and false ideologies. And one of my chief concerns as a pastor during all this time with the elections and all that happened during these last two years is that we identify more with our political ideologies than our biblical theologies. That's a truth. I don't need to repeat it. You need to reread it. Please listen. If you filter your biblical theology through your political ideology, I think somewhere they call that idolatry. There is nothing like this book. There's nothing like this God in this book. There is nothing like the salvation that comes because of this book. There's nothing like the healings that come because of that book. During the last two years while we were closed down, two men almost lost their life that were vastly important to this church. One was Jason Kelch that had an aneurysm and if he hadn't been found when he was found, he would not be here today. We'd already had his funeral, but he's alive. Jason, are you here? Are you here? Stand up and wave your hand, Jason. He still, he still works for the church. Come on now. And the other was prayer pastor Kelly Howard. Kelly Howard, are you in the building today? Where you at, Pastor Kelly? Where you at? Where you at? 
Where you at, Pastor Kelly? My Jesus. Oh, I see you. Your bald head was reflecting the light and I couldn't see you, buddy. I'm sorry. Hit by a fast-moving car over by Onion Creek. When he got to the hospital, they called him the corpse. He was dead on arrival. But he's alive. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may think this is strange, but I truly believe we're going to see signs and wonders. We're going to see supernatural demonstrations of God's salvations and his healing and his deliverance and his love and his power. We're going to see an activation of the gifts of the Spirit in an unprecedented way. Why do you think that? Why do I think that? Number one, we need it. And number two, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, a reformation is not born of new discoveries. That may be called a cult. But it's born of rediscovery of old truths. Jeremiah 6 said, thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your soul. I love the old paths, the God way, the Jesus principle. The rallying cry of reformation was five solas. Sola fide, by faith alone. Sola gratis, by grace alone. Sola scriptura, scriptura, by scripture alone. Sola Christus, by Christ alone. And sola dio gloria, to the glory of God alone. Alone. Johann Sebastian Bach, this is kind of cute, composed 265 cantatas. And at the top, of his cantata when he started, he would write J.J. at the top of the musical score. It stood for Jesu Juva. Jesus, help me. He had an acute awareness that he needed God's anointing. He needed God's direction. He needed God's help to compose that music. And when he got to the end of the composition, he would scribble on the musical score, SDG, Soli Deo Gloria, to God be the glory. Stop, stop, stop. I'd just like to stop right here and say, I know we got shut down this Sunday two years ago, but we're back. And I want to raise my hand and say, to God be the glory for the things he's done. Come on, come on, come on. One of my daughters went to the doctor with her children the other day. And the doctor that was waiting on her, it wasn't about a political reference, preference. She said, I want to tell you something. COVID is gone. It is gone. I stand here today believing that this church had an impact on this world during this time. And greater things will he do for us because he's gone to the Father. He wants to bless us like we've never been blessed in our life. We're coming out of something and going into something else. Every generation needs a reformation. The second reason, reformation starts with a personal revival. For Luther, it was Romans 1.17. To Martin Luther, it became like the gates of heaven. He said, opening up to him, like heaven was invading the earth and faith was filling his heart. See, revival does not start in six months, folks, or next year. It starts in our hearts right here, right now. Today, this could be our one day. We started this series two weeks ago with this thesis, pick a habit, any habit. You have to make it measurable and meaningful, maintainable. 
And last week's challenge was to fight to make it come to pass. Amen. You have to say, this is my one day. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1. You have to do it scared. You have to do it difficult. You have to do it different. But you have to do it now. And so today's challenge is you need to create a rule of life. Say it with me. Rule of life. You need to identify what you want your life to be, who you want your life to pattern after, who you want to follow in this thing called life. And nothing's going to stop me in my journey. Now, it won't happen in 30 minutes, but let me share something with you that I'll conclude with at the end of the service today. I have four things in my life. I, thought, I call them my four quadrants, and I've had them a long, long time. One is my core beliefs. One is my core values. One is my life goals, and one is my daily habits. But let me take you on a trip biblically and historically in the next few minutes. I want to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. But before I go there, I want to give you something kind of funny. In the 6th century, Benedict of Nursia was studying in Rome, and he decided to quit school and live in a cave for three years as a hermit. <laughs> and after disappearing for three years, can you imagine what his beard looked like? Benedict would re-engage by founding 12 spiritual communities called monasteries. And in these monasteries, there was a rule of life. There's that word, words, rule of life, composed in 529 AD. And the rule of Benedict had 73 virtues and practices that would double as a director for daily life. And one of those rules read like this. It was, I think it was number 53. He said, if you're fasting and someone comes to visit you, you can forego the fast because hospitality is a higher virtue. <laughs> so I add to that, next time I'm on a fast, I want to let all of you know so you can come over and visit me and we can eat some bluebell together. <laughs> That's funny. But don't judge me. I'm not a monk. I'm a pastor. <laughs> now, the Latin word for rule, rule of life, is the word regular, like the gas, regular. Regular refers to a trellis, and here's a trellis on which plants grow. And a, garden a gardener uses a trellis to help plants in two primary ways. It keeps the limbs off the ground woo, to protect them from the predators, and it maximizes fruitfulness by keeping them straight. I'm so glad when God uses this rule of life in our life, we understand that we're on a trellis and we're lifted and we're kept straight because it maximizes what God wants to do through us. So a rule of life is like a trellis. It consists of core beliefs and core values and life goals and daily habits. But what I want to do right now is give you what I believe may be the most ancient example of what I call the rule of life. You ready? Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It means that God is not fractured. It means that he's whole. It means that he's not going to decide tomorrow he's going to be a different God to you. He's going to be the same God tomorrow as he is today. You can trust him. In fact, there's only one thing that he won't do. He cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself. He cannot. Even if my heart fails, he still is faithful because he can't deny himself. He's faithful even when I'm unfaithful. I want to follow that kind of God. And I want that to be a rule of my life. So a Jewish person would begin the day and end the day by reciting this prayer in Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, 
It was her first thought in the morning. It was her last thought in the evening. It was reaffirmation of God's rule in their life and the declaration of submission to his sovereignty. This is interesting because many scholars believe, I love this, that the Lord's Prayer in the New Testament is equivalent to the Old Covenant Prayer in Deuteronomy. It's an affirmation of God's rules. It's a realignment with God's will and God's way. You want to say it with me? You ready? You ready? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's not a bad way to start a day. It's not a bad way to end a day. But let's go to verse 5. Deuteronomy 6 and 5. You must love your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. That sounds familiar too. It's the cornerstone of Jesus' teaching. You could even call it a core belief. Jesus takes 613 Old Testament laws and regulations and reduces them to one common denominator that we call the great commandment. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. Let's move on. Let's go to verse 6. I don't have all day. Let's go to verse 6. You must commit yourself wholeheartedly. Deuteronomy 6 and 6 to those commands that I am, I'm giving you today. So if you lived in Judea, if you, were, if you were a Jewish child in the first century, your formal education will begin at the age of six, kind of like it is today, in a synagogue school called Bet Safer. And it was an oral culture. I just think a lot of Americans don't speak enough. We think it, we dream it, but we don't speak it. Just thought I'd say that. So children, watch this would memorize the Torah, the first five books in the Old Testament, by the age of 10. Four years, they'd have the Torah down. But the first lesson on the first day of school was Psalms 119-103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And as the students recited that verse, the rabbi would cover the student's slate with honey, and the students were instructed to lick the honey while reciting this song. It's kind of fascinating in the science of habit formation. Oh, by the way, when the Israelites came out of Egypt across the Red Sea and they wanted, they wanted food and God rained down manna, guess what the manna tasted like? Honey. It tasted like honey. Do you believe that God was saying, I'm giving you something sweet to bring you to something greater than you've ever had in your life? And I believe with everything that the things of God are always precious. They're always sweet. You need to clap for that right now because he's that kind of God. There's no sour disposition in him. He's a wonderful God every day. Amen. Amen. I would, they would call that reinforcing stimuli. What the rabbi is doing is creating a positive association with God's word. Even creating a craving for God's word. You get to lick honey while you speak it. Verse 7. This is where it gets tough right here. Repeat them again and again to your children between six and 10 and talk, them, talk, and talk about it when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Wow. Repetition is the mother of all learning. 
Now, I love what's happening right here. I don't have a whole lot of time to break this down, but find the equation that we kind of work through. Okay, you ready? Okay, here's what I want to say. Say deliberate practice plus desirable difficulty equals durable learning. Not doable, but durable, something that'll endure. Let me talk about this. You know, most of us are educated way beyond the level of our obedience. So you don't need to know more. We just need to do more with what we already know. I've said that. In the Hebrew, you'll love this. There's no distinction between knowing and doing. If you know something, you do it. If you do something, you know it. It's the same thing. The goal of these commands is to get them from your head to your heart. And that's the longest 12 inches in the world. I went to a psychologist a long time ago when I went through my situation. And he said, you know, if your head and your heart agree, your body's on course for a crude and a nice life. But if your head and heart are, are running perpendicular to one another, you're going to be at, at odds with yourself all your life. But not only your head, not only your heart, but get it down in your core, in the core. I hit myself this morning, it shocked me. So I was very easy on that head. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> oh, God. There's a little blue bell in there. You know, I've really got off of it, honestly. I'm going to tell you this on spring break Sunday and spring forth Sunday, spring forward. I'm off of it, except when I'm on it. Last night, I got, to, I got to confess this, last night I went to, the, went to the freezer and I saw it and I said, get thee behind me. <laughs> and I picked up the sherbet and ate a bite of that and another bite. Somebody said it's not as bad. So that's what I did. That's all I got to confess, I'm done. <laughs> then there's something called just manageable difficulty, JMD. The key is to have some stretch goals. Everybody say stretch goals that push us past previous limits and get us out of our comfort zone. And then that brings on what we call deliberate practice. Now you gotta stay with me right now. You gotta stay with me, I'm gonna teach you some things. It's three dimensional. One, you gotta have a well-defined goal. I remember when I was a kid, my daddy, we didn't have a lot, but I got a basketball one, one year and, and, and I didn't have a goal to shoot it in. So you need a goal to shoot a basketball in. And so what I did, I went outside on the driveway and started shooting up against the garage, up above the garage, and started hitting the same spot with the basketball, the same spot. I was shooting for something about this big. The basket looked like a, a number three wash tub when I started shooting in it. But I started hitting that same spot, that same spot, that same spot, that same spot. And finally one day daddy said, son, you're rubbing the paint off the building. And he went and got me a goal. See, if you just keep doing stuff, God's gonna step up and buy you something for you. <laughs> But you got to start doing something. You can't just sit there and say, oh, let it be, let it be. I'm not trying to be funny, but I'm pretty funny today right now. I just feel the Beatles coming on. Let it be, let it be. Mm. Okay, two is what you call reverse engineer. You got to turn life goals into daily habits. In other words, if you want something to happen 20 years down the road, you got to start on it now. You got to start on it right now in daily habits. If you want to get some weight off of you, amen, I'm preaching to myself. You got to start walking now. 
It may be 60 yards right now, and you ask your wife to come pick you up and bring you back to the house because you can't walk 60 back. <laughs> but start walking. It may be 100 yards tomorrow. It may be 150 the next day. And before you know it, you may be walking a mile. You may be walking two, three, four. You might be jogging a little bit. But you gotta start right now. You gotta take life goals and make them daily habits. And thirdly, you've got to be consistent. You gotta be consistent. It's gotta happen all the time. You gotta get up, you gotta do it. It's Malcolm Gladwell that popularized the 10,000 hour rule. I preached that here. But it was really Anders Ericsson who stressed that you have to be near maximal effort. If you're not putting out 70% effort then what you're doing is actually counterproductive. Status quo causes one to cultivate bad habits instead of good habits if you're not pushing those things forward. So what, what, what does that have to do with Deuteronomy 6? Stay with me. It just seems like to me that like this is deliberate practice. And everything about this is so intentional. We said last week spiritual formation is habit formation. So notice the way these commands are woven with rhythm and routine of daily life. Watch this. Couple them with our daily rituals. Talk about them when you sit at home. Talk about them when you walk along the road. Talk about them when you lie down. Talk about them when you get up. Let's repeat. Talk about them when you sit at home. Talk about them when you walk along the road. Talk about them when you lie down and when you get up. Let's repeat. I'm tired of repeating. But what I'm trying to say, you have to leverage these routines now let me talk about commitment. You just can't set goals, you have to schedule goals. You have to give timelines and deadlines. When I was 21 years old, 22, I started evangelizing. I, I'd like to say I got out of school, but I quit school. I quit school. I left seminary because it was a cemetery. And everything was dead there. There was no life in that school. And I, I said, I wanna go somewhere where there's life, you know. It's kinda like the old preacher that pastored a dead church and every, every evening at four o'clock he went down to the train track. Somebody said, what are you going down there for? He said, well the train comes by at four o'clock. I wanna see something moving every now and then. <laughs> and, what, and what I quit school for is because I wanna see something moving. And here, I'm, here I am today, this many years later. But I'm telling you, I determined when I was evangelizing and sleeping in pastor's homes as a single man, I'd get up every morning. Everybody say, get up every morning. I'd get up every morning, every morning at a certain time and begin my preparation for that night to preach the gospel again. I do think that the number one commitment to life is getting up every morning. Amen. Now, what's the, what's, what's, the other, what's the other answer? Sleep until the afternoon. You don't need to sleep past 12 o'clock. You don't need to sleep past, well, I don't want to tell you what you need to do. You do what you need to do. But I think you need to get up every morning. And I do think that the number one commitment to life is getting up every morning and getting up every morning at a certain time. Stressful times, good times, bad times. Pastor last night was a bummer for me, you know, so I got home late and I think I'm all right. I think I'll just sleep in all day. The commitment device that you need to get up every morning, every morning is called an alarm clock. You need to set it. This morning, ours went off at 5.30, new time. Spring forward time. It's 4.30 old time. Did I want to get up? N-O. <laughs> Did I get up? C. <laughs> I got up. And I'm so happy I got up because I'm here preaching today and I'm feeling good about what I'm saying to you right now. The second concept is what I call intentional implementation. That's determine when and where you're going to do it. In other words, if you make up your mind you're going to do this, this practice, You've got to determine where you're going to do it and when you're going to do it. 
You got to find a when and a where. All right. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to start lifting, Pastor. Okay, where? Well, you got to find a place. Well, you need to find that place. When are you going to start? Well, I think I'll start next month. No, you need to start right now. Pastor, I think I want to start praying more. When are you going to start? Where are you going to pray? What are you going to do? I'm just asking you questions that you need to ask yourself. Because we need this thing called a rule of life. We need this thing to come into concept with Jesus Christ in his life in our life. Because I really believe that in the last days, God's going to have a people that's going to be devoted to him and sell out to him and will not be wondering all about the things of the world, but be devoted on a God of heaven that takes care of our earthly situations. Come on, help me preach. So I love what the Bible says. When you lie down, work on it. When you get up, when you go out, when you come home, it's a rhythm, it's a routine to these commands. And then God goes a little further in verse eight. He said, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead and write them on the door frames of your house. Okay, we have a tendency to remember what we should forget and forget what we should remember. And we also have a tendency to major on minors and minor on majors. These are struggles that we have in life. And what I love is God's given them visual reminders like, come on, if you're gonna have, have to, put it on your hand. Put it right there, right there, right there. You can see it. Then put it on your head so everybody else can see it and tell you what you're saying and what you're believing. Hey, you know what, you say, you know what your head's saying? They tell you. And then put it on the door frames. For what it's worth, these verses were put in little boxes that they were, and they were called mezuzahs. They were put on the right side of the door frame at shoulder level along with other words that weren't just noticeable, they were unavoidable. And every single time they walked in and out, they were reminded of the rule of life. I wonder what they put on their hand. WWMD? Well, Jesus wasn't around. What would Moses do? <laughs> you know, that's all I got to say about that. But with that as a background, I want to talk to you on four concepts that I have. Leonard Sweet said, we must create sacred space and sacred rituals everywhere we go. Everywhere. If you're in a restaurant, you need to make it a wonderful place because God's with you in that restaurant. If you're going to root for the Baylor Bears in the championship basketball games, don't root for Texas real long because they're not going to be around that long. But if you're going to root for Kansas or whatever, you need to have a little bit of Jesus in your heart, no matter where you are. I remember going to an Oklahoma-Texas game. I've been to two of them in the 32 years I've been here. I was asked to go and got tickets to, and I went. And the second one I went to, I went with some guys in this church, and, and uh, I wore my orange. And Texas won that day. But as I was climbing the steps to our very top of the stadium seats. Some Oklahoma kids were there and they thought they'd have fun with an older man. And so one of them looked at me and said, hey, I don't like what you're wearing. And I said, I like what I see in your heart. He said, who are you? <laughs> I want to say Superman, I can see right through you. I said, I'm a pastor. 
And I was born in Oklahoma. I live in Austin, Texas. I could, I could, I could root for Oklahoma or, or Texas, but I'm rooting for Texas. But I want to tell you something, son. The greatest thing you'll ever get in your life is finding the Jesus that I preach about every Sunday morning in Austin, Texas. Watch this. Watch this. The guys probably saw this. That young man reached out and hugged me after he said, 30 seconds ago, I don't like what you're wearing. It's amazing when you take Jesus. It's amazing how Jesus deflates everything. And you don't have to use your fist. You just use the might of Jesus Christ in your life. Come on now. It's a rule of life. It's a rule of life. So I'm gonna give, give you my four core values. Number one is my core beliefs. This is my core belief. This Bible is a mighty book. And one of my favorite scriptures in this Bible is the first, very first verse, in the beginning, God. God. That's really all I need to know. God did it all. But I do love Psalms 23 and 1, the Lord is my shepherd, and I wrote it with my vernacular, I will never want. Never. He's my shepherd. Micah 6 and 8 said, he's shown me, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. But then this one is the beautiful one for me. Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. 41 years ago today, I lost a wife and a boy. Today, March 13. It was the coldest, darkest day of my life. And I couldn't ever imagine that 41 years later, on that day, that I'd be standing in front of such a beautiful august crowd and preaching the gospel that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. But he, he's the reason that I have these core beliefs. I still got my little boy's picture, four years old on my desk. He'd be 45 if he was here today, but he's not. But one day I'll see him. I will, because I'm gonna keep these core beliefs. It's my rule of life. I'll never separate myself from his love. And guess what, he'll never separate his love. Is that pretty good or what? Let me give you my, let me give you my core values. Before I do, Tozer said, whatever keeps me from my Bible is my enemy. Let me give you my core values. My family. Of course, God is first. I've already told you that, but my family. This church and my friendships. If you come back next Sunday, I promise I won't cry. But I've never wanted to be a hero in the world. I've never wanted to be a hero in America. For that matter, I never want to be a hero in Texas. And you can't be a hero in this town because Matthew McConaughey's got that wrapped up. (laughs) 
But I tell you, I want to be a hero in my home. I want to be family famous. My greatest victory is that I have a wife that rescued me from disaster and three wonderful daughters that loved me and three son-in-laws that would fight for me and nine beautiful grandkids that'll run to me tonight for our family night and say, bo, 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 and they'll be jumping all around me. That's my greatest victory. It's my core values. And oh, and by the way, I want to be a giver. I want to give what God's given to me back. I think one of the greatest reasons this church has continued to grow is that I am an avid tither. I'm an avid tither. And I'm an avid offering giver. Because I believe that God deserves so much more than I could ever imagine. And I think that you're cheating yourself if you're not giving to the cause that's greater than yourself. And that's the church and the Lord. That's the end of the story of that. But my other core values, I want to preach with consistent love and grace and kindness to people. And I want to show that when I'm not in the pulpit. And now my life goals, glad you asked. Do what God's called me to do and be better at it every day. I want to get better. Because the closer I get to him, the more I ought to look like him. I'm going to have to grow some hair if I'm going to really look like him though. (laughs) Number two, I never want to feel like I have to do something. I want to always feel like I get to do something. I used to go on trips with pastors and they said, well, I got to get home because I have to preach Sunday. And I'd always say, I'm going home because I get to preach Sunday. And the third thing is I want to finish strong and then I will, I'll give you my daily habits. I want to keep getting up every morning excited about life, not sleeping in, getting up. I want to come to church, the house of God daily because David said one thing about desire of the Lord and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. David got some pretty good favor Oh, and Joshua got some pretty good favor because he lingered in the tabernacle. He got to be the follower of Moses in leadership. I want to dwell in this house. I want to dwell in this house. And the third one, this is going to kind of make you smile. I I want to kiss my wife every day. Every day. That's not a sexy thing. But when I come in and she's cooking, I'm going to kiss her on the back of the head. If she looks at me, I'm going to kiss her on the cheek. And if I get a shot, I'm going to get that mouth. You hear me? You get it? And she's looking at this right now and laughing and being embarrassed at the same time. I love you, Patty Joyce. And I want to work on getting stronger in spirit. This is my daily habits, mind and body. And I want to be committed to excellence in everything that I do. And that is my four core values. So that's what I call my rule of life. That's what runs, that's what runs me. It's what makes me be who I am. Whether you like that or not, that's who I am. And I don't think you'd be here if you didn't like that. But that's who I am. 
And you need to go home and create a rule of life. You need to put it in practice. You need to be understanding that this is for real. And it needs to be constant. Constant. Because God's got something great for you. He's got something great for your family. He's got something great for your future. If you'll just have what I call the rule of life. The rule of life. Just walk in it. Because I promise you, God wants to help you every day of your life. And I've gone five minutes over. Please forgive me. I'll make it up to you Wednesday. But I love you from the bottom of my heart. And I want you to know that. Give a hand to the word today. Come on, give a hand to the word today. Stand to your feet. Let me bless you. Raise your hands to receive this. Let me bless you. Let me bless you. Raise your hands to receive this. I love you guys. I love you guys. Thanks for helping me wrap this up today. Hold your hands up, dear Father. I love these people. And I'm so grateful that you allowed me to come out of my corner again and again and again and again and to climb those tough cliffs of life and to take the victory from the enemy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being our God and our guide. And thank you for being our gospel. We love you. You're the ultimate in our lives. And we want to make that the rule of our life, that you're the ultimate in our lives. Let us practice it. Let us be intentional about it. Let us move forward with constancy, consistency. And let us understand, God, that we can have core values. We can come from our head to our heart to our inner being. It can get in our soul. Thank you for that. I love you, sweet Jesus. Bless the audience that's listened online today and bless the people that's blessed, been blessed here today by the music and by the word of the Lord. And I bless you on this spring break and may the favor of God be with you. Remember when you're sitting down, when you're walking, when you get up and when you lie down, always remember there's a rule of life and it's a God factor in your life. For it's in Jesus' name. Now go home today. And have a great week and we'll see you here Wednesday night.